You're listening to the Journey On podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a horseman, trainer, international clinician, and author who helps empower horse people from all over the world with the skills, knowledge, and mindsets needed to create trusting partnerships with their horses. Warwick offers a free seven-day trial to his comprehensive online video library that includes hundreds of full-length training videos and several home study courses at videos.warwickschiller.com. G'day everyone, welcome back to the Journey on Podcast. I'm your host Warwick Schiller and my special guest this week is Mary Corning. Mary lives in the foothills of the Oregon Coast Range Mountains. She's an author, horse advocate, mentor and retreat facilitator. Mary enjoys a diverse yet simple and a natural lifestyle. In her work with both people and horses, Mary focuses on real life experience. Her book Perfect Practice is based on experiential practice rather than intellectual belief. Mary encourages personal inquiry as a means to uncover hidden patterns. Removing resistance and finding freedom of expression is a cornerstone in Mary's work. The application for this life-enhancing work is delivered in many varied environments such as private personal sessions, horse sessions, personal retreats, group seminars and workshops, or as you'll probably see in this podcast, (laughs) while on a podcast. Mary is an award-winning author, published journalist and dedicated practitioner. She's been interviewed on radio and podcasts and enjoyed candid and authentic uh, discussions, which once again, you'll see that on here. Mary's book, Perfect Practice, won the Winnie Award for the most inspirational at the December 2022 Equus Film, Art and Literature Festival. Mary built and maintained her own horse facility where she hosted clinics, boarded horses and taught horsemanship for 20 years. She then extended her philosophical work into human wellness early in the year 2000 when she began offering private sessions and retreats. Mary considers herself a student of the soul. Her passion and inspiration have always come from living close to nature and in communion with horses. And so that's the bio that Mary sent me. And, uh, you know, having already recorded the interview with her, uh, yeah, she's pretty spot on with all that stuff. So I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Mary as much as I did. Mary Corning, welcome to the Journey on Podcast. Thank you, Warwick. It's really great to be here. Yeah, we've, you know, we've taken a while to uh, try to get together. When I first reached out, I think you were sick or sick with COVID, one or the other, weren't you? I was pretty laid up. <laughs> yeah. So. And you feel, feeling okay now? Pretty good. There's some lingering effects and it's humbled me a lot. It's it taught me a lot how to surrender because I'm not a person who gets sick. In fact, our lifestyle is such that I don't get a lot of exposure because I do pretty much all my work out of here. And uh, so it was kind of shocking. Uh, But, you know, you roll with it. I never missed a day of chores. (laughs) Um, So where is here? Where do you live? Uh, Gaston, Oregon. It's right at the Coast Range Mountains that divides the, say, Portland from the ocean. And uh, it's really beautiful from our place. uh, We really relate to your move because we picked up after 20 years and moved to a new place uh, a little farther out, which is what we wanted. And from here, I could basically ride over the mountains to the ocean and not cross a road so other than maybe a log truck or something (laughs) 
you know, the how we kind of connected, Mary, was I became aware of your book, Perfect Practice, a philosophy for living an authentic and transparent life. And it's, I want to kind of talk quite a bit about how that book came about and how your journey came to writing that book. But what's, it's, what's really interesting is the title of the book sounds like you could have a picture of some guy in a robe or some woman in a robe with, you know, sitting on the cover, but there's three horses on the cover. So it sounds like the horses have, um, le- like me, <laughs> led you on a, on a bit of a journey. And I kind of want to unravel that journey. Why don't we start out with what do you, what do, you do these days? And then I want to go back to the book. And then I kind of want to go back to way before the book. So what's, what, do you, what do you do these days to keep yourself busy? Well, I kind of go where I'm led like this, <laughs> you know, you, you showed up, so I'm here. And um, I work with probably more people than horses now, uh, but both. I work in, uh, professionally, I work as kind of a personal mentor. And sometimes that's with horses. And sometimes that's just in people's personal life. Because what I came to understand, as I think you have as well, is that everything that the horses have taught me applies to living a, a natural and authentic life. We find out really early that, you know, force and control doesn't always mean effectiveness. And it's the same with life. That when we try to force things, and I was listening to you talk about um, buying your place and how that came to be, and that was in stages. You know, you found it, and then it took a while, and then, you know, and and you couldn't force it, nor did you really want to. But I think that really develops uh, faith that we're not always in control. In fact, if you were to ask me, I would say we're never in control. Uh so um, I help people see that they don't have to micromanage every single detail. And, and I like to say that I lessen their burden because mm. you know, it's a real burden to feel like we're responsible for everything. And um, I tell you, I call it freedom, and I don't say that as a hip word, I say that as absolutely from my heart, that it's both in horsemanship and in life, that when we feel that sense of freedom, everything around us uh, changes and, and it, we kind of create our own world from whatever source we're living from. Whether it's control, then it's a controlled world, we're gonna be exhausted. We're going to have to micromanage and, and do it tomorrow, you know. But if it's a source of faith, and I call it love, but sometimes even that word people <laughs> have troubles with for some reason. But um, I think that's what's important, is to live the life you were born to live. And that's what I help people do. And I help people do it sometimes with their horses. And uh, most often now, uh, in their private lives and and but it's funny because now I'm moving back into the horses again it kind of goes back and forth and like I say I go where I'm led whoever calls I show up 
Very interesting. So when did you when did you write the book Perfect Practice? I think it was published four years ago, um, but it took me five years to write. So I guess we're talking about <laughs> the very so nine years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, I've I've just released a book, so I know I know a little bit about how long it can take to write. So was it was it um, five years to write, or was it four years to mull around thinking about it, and then one year to write? Or was it just was it five years of writing? No, it was twenty years of mulling, <laughs> and five years that. to write. <laughs> Literally, uh, yeah. You know, in uh, a book that I I love to listen to, I've listened to it a number of times. Is Russell Brand's Recovery? Uh, I don't know if you know who Russell Brand is. You know yeah. Russell Brand is. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, him, I, I know of he, him. Yeah. I love the way he talks, and it's his take on the on the twelve step program. Oh yeah, and you know that you know the first step is you know do you have a problem? Second step, I think is do you think you could not have a problem? And the third step is do you uh, are you ready to you know change? Are you re- or do you can you do it on your own? But anyway, like the fifth step or the sixth step or something or other is you make an inventory of all the wrongs. That have been mm-hmm. done to you by people, yada yada yada. Anyway, he said it took him five years and two days to 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 get to the fifth step. And you it said that the it, wrongs that people did to you, or the wrongs that uh, you did. Uh, I think what you do is you do both. Yeah, I would you, hope you do so. Both, if you don't, and it's then, incomplete. You know. Yeah, and and then what you've got to do after that, after you write that list, is you've got to make amends yeah. so you've got to contact those people and make amends but anyway the story he tells is i think let's say that's step five or six i don't know what step it is but it says he, he took him four years and two days to to do step five or six or whatever it is and he said actually it took me it took me um i got to step four in about the first week and for the next four years, I couldn't do the next step. And then finally one day I sat down, I spent two crazy days just sitting there writing oh. all these things down. But it, it was the heart, you know, that step took him four years and two days, but it really only took him two days once he decided he was going to do it. It, yeah. was the, it was the avoiding of the doing it for four years that took him four years and two days. And so for me, the, the book was a little bit, the same way, I think, but um, you know, I think everybody's different. So yours was twenty years of mulling it and five years of writing it. Well, it's funny you should talk about recovery because um, that is kind of how my recovery came to be. Was you know, it's like W. C. Field said, "I can quit drinking. I've done it a thousand times." You know, <laughs> and <laughs> um, it took. You know, Ray Hunt would say, it takes what it takes, no more, no less. And that's what it was. It was a process of getting ready. And and the day that that happened, I was completely unprepared, nor did I intend to quit drinking. But it it's like I called it divine intervention. But all the years prior, I was getting ready. You know, I kept trying and failing and, you know, relapsing and going back and and then. But the desire, I think, is what's so important to uh, acknowledge 
not the accomplishment. The desire is what kept feeding that process. Without the desire, uh, I'd probably not be here today. Don't you think that desire almost comes almost comes at rock bottom like you know sometimes you, you, i don't know yeah. always i mean i don't know i was born with <laughs> i was born a love child like you know i was born with this burning desire for pure love but i entered a world that was hostile right and i'm like shoot that's not what i had in mind you know so i did what people do. I pushed and forced through it. So I became so tough. I became tougher than anybody. And, uh, but like there's a quote in my book, it says, I knew I wanted peace, but I thought, I still thought I had to fight to get it. Mm. And, right. uh, that was a long, long journey. Well, tell us about this journey. Where were, you, where were you born? What was your childhood like? Oi, that's going to take half the podcast. Um, <laughs> the short, oh, the short I, version. The short version. Oh, let's see. Yeah. I was, where was I? Don't know where I, I was born. <laughs> what I really want to do, you know, you, I think you've spent a lot of time Ray, around Ray Hunt, and he may have influenced your journey quite a bit. I want to kind of figure out how you oh, end I up with there. horses and how you end up with horses and how you end up meeting Ray Hunt, and then okay. the 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 things that happened, you know, sure. the influences from him. Yeah. Oh, uh, boy. That's where I'd like to talk about, yeah. too, because it's so important. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, um, I was born in, I guess I was born in Boise, but we're Idaho, but we weren't there, but a minute seemed. My father was a uh, pretty highfalutin executive, uh, I believe, for U.S. Steel. And our family moved to the Philippines and lived there for my early, you know, up until I was about five. And um, my father was a very, very powerful man. He was rich and he was strong and he controlled people. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he had charisma, but also you wouldn't cross him. You know, it would, there was a, and my mother, who was adopted, literally left on a convent step, literally, as a baby, was raised by the nuns until she was adopted. She was an only child, and she had four children and lived abroad and uh, with this big, powerful man, you know, who uh, had his dark side, and the dark side came from alcohol. And, uh, but it was always, I always told him it was like the rat pack, you know, he was always in tuxedos with a cocktail and a cigarette. And when he was like that, to me, he was like, uh, larger than life. He was what I dreamed of a man being. And, uh, but then there was that other side that was, uh, could be violent and explosive and, um, frightening. So I learned at about three years old that alcohol was a magic serum <laughs> that made people happy. 
And uh, so by the time I was in seventh grade, I was an alcoholic. And oh, ki wow. yeah, kicked out of school for being drunk in first period. And it, we, uh, let me back up for a second. My mom finally got us to the States and got a divorce. So then she raised us from the time I was uh, five, six. Uh, she raised all four children alone. And my father moved off to Jamaica and actually kind of ran out on his uh, duties or responsibilities. So my mother had to fend for us. And so we went from being very wealthy to very, uh, I'd say lower middle class, I guess. She was the most brilliant person I've ever known and the absolutely the most loving. And she always believed in me. Her, her motto was... Uh, hold your children with open arms and 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 she allowed me to be authentic and i was reckless and wild i was the youngest of four and um it was the late 60s and 70s you know so uh i did a lot of drugs and alcohol very young because my siblings specifically my sister was five years older and mm. she was kind of my hero. So whatever she did, I did. And that's why I started smoking and drinking and drugging and so young, because I was just kind of attached to her because she was my security. So um, so that's my childhood. And then at uh, ninth grade, which I guess is, I was 15, I um, wouldn't have school anymore. They couldn't box me in. I was really, really reckless. So I got emancipated and moved out on my own and uh, started working and got an apartment when I was 15. Um, and then I started my own business when I was 18 and it was a very, uh, very good business that I did for 29 years in Portland, Oregon. Um, I started cleaning houses and then I uh, I really loved that because I loved the families I worked for. It was like I had 20 families, you know. And so, so many times they just pour me a cup of coffee, sit down, let's visit, you know. And I really think that was what got me started in doing the personal work because they mm. would talk to me about everything. And I was interested and I was compassionate and I was, you know, I was the Mary I was born to be, I guess, is helpful and supportive and empathetic. And um, so I was, I toned down a lot, the drugs and alcohol, but I was still using alcohol quite a bit. Um, and then, um, let's see, where did I go from there? So I married because I thought I was supposed to, and I don't think I was even in love. But uh, I always wanted a horse all my life. And my mother, being a single mother, couldn't pull it off. We were in the suburbs. She had four kids. There was no way. We lived in Portland, Oregon, you know. And uh, so when I moved out and went to work, I started going out on Sundays and renting this one mare on this dude string. And I'd go out every Sunday and pay my $25, and I'd ride this mare around. Um, and 
uh, one day I came and they were showing her to some people and said they were going to sell her. And I said, you can't sell my mare, <laughs> you know? And they said, oh, yes, we can. And so I bought her and I had nowhere to keep her. And I knew absolutely nothing about horses, nothing. I used like a floor mat for my first saddle blanket, you know? And uh, so that leads me to how I met Ray because by the grace of God, <laughs> um, I was in this corral riding her and she was, you know, get her off the dude's string, right? And it's a whole different horse. It wasn't just going around a little track. Right. And uh, there was a gal starting a horse or training in the corral with me at the time where I was. I don't know. I was at some boarding barn or something. And I had this big old leverage bit in her mouth and yanking on her. And, you know, and this and she was I was going to pull her over backwards. I think looking back, that's probably what would have happened. And this gal steps in and she goes, I can help you. And I said, oh, thank God. So as it turned out, this gal was a Ray Hunt disciple <laughs> and uh, changed my life forever because she said uh, shortly thereafter, Ray came to town and she said, you need to come to a Ray Hunt clinic. And I said, I actually, I take it back. The first clinic I ever went to was Tom Dorrance. So mm. yeah, I, I set the bar pretty high out of the gate, you know? Uh, and then Ray came about six months later. And uh, I just attended and watched and this gal rode and something happened in me. There was a magic uh, that when I saw him, especially with the Colts, because the Colts were in a round pen, they were moving around and, and you could tell they were kind of wide eyed and not in a new place and they were tails were up and they were kind of all mixed up and and ray came in and it was like you know it just like it was like my gosh i could feel it i could it was palatable his presence and the colts certainly felt it and for the rest of that uh back then i can't remember if it was three or five days but I mean, I was like in another world. And what I saw, I didn't know what I was witnessing. I felt what I was witnessing. And it was what I wanted all my life. It was freedom. It was uh, unity and, and faith. He had faith in those horses beyond even the people that owned them. And uh, from that moment and still today, Ray is in my heart and will always be. I get choked up. <laughs> what was your, because I think, at this point in time, you're still pretty green with horses. What was your experience oh, yeah. like? What was your experience like going to a um, Tom Dorrance clinic? Because, because, imagine you know, I imagine it would be like, 
Yeah, I imagine it would be a bit like, you know, someone who's lived kind of a hard life going and listen to, uh, I don't know, Dalai Pema Lama. Chodron. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Dalai Lama or Pema Chodron or one of those, you know, like it's like so far removed from their reality, like how much of it can you pick up on? So did That's when you went and watched point. Tom, did you kind of go, uh-huh, or did you go, what the hell is he on about? That's so funny because you just introduced me to myself in a way I didn't realize until this moment. So I never liked school. I didn't like boxes. I didn't like linear thinking. I didn't, I hated rules, you know. I was so opposed to what was um, traditional and, uh, you know, orchestrated that when I remember I had a 65 Chevy pickup and I backed up to the arena, dropped the tailgate, and I sat in that lounge chair. That's how I watched Tom. I'll never forget it. Um, And so I might have had an advantage over many people who would come because I didn't learn intellectually. I was hardwired spiritual, maybe you might call it. I don't know another word, but that absorption. I absorb to learn. I don't think to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, uh, it's a tendency of mine that I feel is a gift really now. But let me tell you, it didn't look good for a long time. It looked pretty, um, it looked to the establishment like I was a rebel. But I was true to myself. And so when I saw Tom, and he had this little, I don't know if you've ever seen him, the, he had a little, it wasn't a tripod, it was like a monopod stool. And he'd sit, he was, I think Tom was always old. I don't, <laughs> never saw him young. <laughs> He's born old. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was on the, the ranch up in Joseph for, you know, I think till he was 50 or better. Of course, when I was in my 20s, 50 was old, right? right. Now it's young. <laughs> but anyway, so he'd sit on this little stool and pivot around with these horses moving around. And he'd say, well, you know, you might kind of. <laughs> and sometimes not even finish full sentences. You know, I mean, it was. It just drew me in because it was uh, somehow he conveyed this to the people and the horses and everybody loved him. Everybody got something out of it. But it was a very different way of teaching than I'd ever seen in my life. And uh, so I was really drawn to it. I think just by nature, by my nature. Mm Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. And then six months later, you went and saw... Ray. Ray Hunt. How was, how was that first, um, you know, the first viewing of, of Ray? How was that for you? Well, and I write a lot about this, actually. The book is dedicated to these men. And, uh, you know, I honestly think it was the 
father figure that I had missed because I, I admired power and strength. That was something my father was exceptional at. Um, but I wanted the kindness and understanding. And Ray had both. He was very powerful, very charismatic. Um, he, I knew right immediately that he demanded respect and he got it. And um, so it felt like home, like the home I always wanted. And so that's why I was never going to leave, you know, like the Holy Grail, let alone the wisdom. By then, I had been with this gal quite a, quite a while. She became my best friend, that trainer. And uh, she talked so much about Ray that I was already really prepared, you know. Um, and I had at least one horse by then. Um, but it just started me on that journey to learning from the horse what I needed to know. But I did it with what Ray came into town or, you know, I followed him. I went to other towns and saw him as, as often as I could. And he only had a short amount of time to get a lot done because he was so dedicated to uh, the horse first. So he had certain things that he did. And I always kind of thought he did these things to set up a um, environment or an experience for people to find their own answers. He didn't answer questions directly. And I noticed that about many great teachers, that they kind of let you find it. I've really adopted that. Uh, people ask me, you know, I don't give advice. I think that's ridiculous. I can't tell you about your life, but I can ask good questions that make you look. Mm. So you said when you first saw Ray, it was, it was kind of like the father figure that you had wanted. Was it, was it almost like the way he treated the horses, the way he worked with the horses? It's like you were the horse. You wanted yes. to be the horse that he, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I'm glad you went there because I actually wrote about that. I forgot about that. Um, so those scared horses, or I would say they were scared. They weren't traumatized, but they were certainly lively and unsure and didn't know anything. He guided them. And that was something I never had. My mother did the best she could, but she worked full time and had four children. And I was the youngest. so She was exhausted, you know. But Ray guided these horses with uh, faith. I use that word a lot, I guess. <laughs> I'm finding out here. But with a faith that is um, uh, effective in their 
settling this chaotic mind that is, uh, let's call it fear. You know, that's kind of a good generic term for the chaotic mind. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, he had such a way of settling the dust and giving them a learning. He, this is a Ray Hunt quote. He said, I want them in a learning frame of mind. And I, I recently went up and worked with some horses and people up in Washington. And this one horse was white eyed and paw on the ground and tied to the wall. And, you know, and I said, I asked everybody there, I said, how many of you can learn when you're scared? So let's just start there. And Ray was the master at, if you've ever, I'm sure you've seen him, you know, working with riding his own horse. And and Ray, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I always saw his horses had a lot of life. They weren't statues, but he was always guiding them. And, and even when he wasn't, I have probably 500, maybe a thousand pictures of Ray Hunt. And, <laughs> you know, I have those still, you know, how a still image captures the moment. And his hand, his hand on the neck, I mean, oh, it takes your breath away. How can that be? It has to come from the source of what is moving the hand. And that's really the, that's the gist of my work. The hand is just a hand. What's animating it? What is the source that moves all of the um, choices and, and the actions and the unity and the flow? What's moving that source? Is it fear or is it faith? Ray had faith. He said himself he'd never seen a horse that this wouldn't help. He never found one. I don't think he ever did. Find a horse that, you know, that he couldn't help. I'm just looking at your book on Amazon and the um, the little blurb on it. I'm going to read it right now because it's oh, very, boy. very cool. Is it cool? Because that was written like, oh. the, here we go. Okay, read it to me, Warwick. <laughs> But but you're, you're kind of like, oh, well, that was written a while ago. I might think things differently, but it's not because it's about, it's yeah. exactly about that. It says, yeah. we can shift our perspective and change our world. Life can be exceptionally gratifying when we realize that our thoughts create our interactions and our inter- interactions create our relationships. To truly relate is what living is all about and and that's the thing there. It's, it's about, you know, I'm a huge fan of the Wayne Dyer quote, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And this morning, actually, funny enough, this morning I shared a, I had a, you know, what's really cool as far as like, you know, I'm a bit of a content creator on social media. And <laughs> oh, <really>? what's, what's, <laughs> your, what's really cool is Facebook memories. Stuff will pop up from four years ago. It's like, 
oh, you guys need to hear this again. Yeah, yeah. And a memory popped up this morning that where I shared a quote 11 years ago. And the quote was by Francois. <laughs> I don't even know. Oh, it's it's a, one of them classical French masters. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Yeah. He says, the knowledge of the nature of horses is one of the first foundations of the art of riding it. And I shared that 11 years ago. Yeah. Because I thought I understood the nature of horses at the time. And I did understand the nature of horses at time much better than I had years previously. But I completely understand the nature of horses differently now because I have a different lens with which I view things that horses do and the different lens with which I view the horses makes me interact with them differently, which actually changes the horse. So the <laughs> the the knowledge of the nature of horses is one of the First foundations of the art of writing it. And I think as you go along, your understanding of the nature of horses becomes different because you become you become more aware of or not necessarily more aware of what they're doing, but you 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 change the lens and, and I think you uh something i read about yours was talking about putting veils having veils over oh your yeah head i was peeling those veils away thing. yeah and yeah it's you know, a good the, example it's mm-hmm. it, you know like your how you interact you know what was that sorry what was that quote there it was life can be exceptionally gratifying when we realize that our thoughts create our interactions and our interactions create our relationships and you know the thoughts that we have are based on the perceptions that we have and the, the lenses that we view life through. When you change those lenses, what you're looking at changes because you realise that half the stuff you think is happening is just a projection of you. Ah, that's a huge... And it's not really happening. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Great. First of all, I was a huge fan of Wayne Dyer and, and I have every single book he ever wrote. <laughs> including your erroneous zones, which is his first, you know. Uh, And that quote is um, what you're talking about. You change the way you see things, the things you see change. Uh, And you brought up a word, nature, uh, in the the quote that you read, the nature of the horse. That nature is what brought me to seeing my true nature and that's what i wanted to share with you the most today that really thinking about personally talking with you you know although your life is an open book as mine is uh but that nature that word is really important because that nature is deeper than intellect um There's a saying, like the mind is a speck of light thinking it's the sun. And our intellect Mm. and our thoughts (laughs) and our, you know. And I I remember you uh, several times have commented, have a mind like still water. Well, that's a Mark Ration quote, actually. Yeah, I've I've heard you say it. And I'm just like... When I watch or listen to your podcast, I'm like, I want in on this conversation, you know, and and 
it's the same as that for me, that what I call the true nature or the essence of nature. I live in a forest and lots of wild animals and birds and deer and everything, you know, trees, lots of trees. And um, I am very tuned into nature as a, as a guru. And I'm witnessing that we're not really the higher species, <laughs> I think, in a sense. We, we are intellectually. But now, as I have lived this whole lifetime from this heart, from this nature, I can see that the mind is a tool. And so often, it becomes the leader it's the mind and the thoughts and the doings and the effects the sensations that all of that starts pushing us through our life and it, it typically it's the next we want the next the next the next you know and it's what i've found is that takes us away from our nature and and that goes back to what I was saying about control. Then we start micromanaging the world. And as you just pointed out, then we see the world we're micromanaging as real. But it's not. It's, it's managed and, and controlled and, and most important, temporary. Most important is that when we have that as our lifestyle, and this is my life's work, uh, it's you're going to have to keep managing and keep thinking and look, and where's the peace? Where's the, I'm all right already, I'm home, I'm here. Yay, let's enjoy it, you know? And um, I think that that is something that is very unusual in our world that and and why I feel it's so important is that we come home to the true nature and the mind serves that not the other way around and uh, that veil ceremony that you were talking about I, I uh, designed this workshop and I went out and I bought all this veil material bridal veil you know and there was red and blue and yellow and green and black and white and all the cut them into little squares, you know. And uh, and the idea was that I'd ask the people that arrived, you know, who's felt sadness in this life? You know, and, oh, everybody has felt sadness. So, OK, you get a blue veil and then we go on with envy and jealousy and regret and all the And e with each emotion comes a different veil and you put it over your head. And and there you're sitting with, you know, at first you put the blue veil on. You can see, but it's tinted. And then you keep adding more and more and more veils. And then the punchline was, now look at the person next to you. How well do you see them? Mm. And is it that your eyes don't see? That makes sense. 
that your eyes are still yeah. seeing perfectly. But all of this uh, habituated thought and response and reaction and perception, as you called it, which I call it that too, um, clouds the vision. And it certainly does with our horses. Oh, and for yeah. me, more than anything else. In fact, I was telling, I, uh, I met, I met um, Brent Graf uh, mm -hmm. recently at a clinic. And first time I he's saw him. That's a cool dude, isn't that's it? That's a cool dude. And what he's yes. doing is beautiful. And I don't know him at all. I just met him at a clinic and he was there at lunch and we were talking and I gave him the book, you know, of course. <laughs> but uh, I like giving the book to clinicians because there's so many stories about being a, a participant, right? right? In the And it's like falling apart and crying in the trailer and all, you know, and I thought it's good for them to know what goes on behind the scenes, you know. But um, anyway, very, very, very uh, high integrity man and, yes. uh, and well-placed. And anyway, we were talking at lunch and I said, you know, I think um, the biggest mistake I made is doing what I was told. And I kind of watched his expression because as a teacher, you know, right. Uh, but it's because not that I did what I was told, but that I kept doing it over and over and over in different applications. I took it. That's that linear thinking again. That's how it gets us in trouble. And that's why I love Tom so much and Ray, too, that, you know, Tom's big quote that he used over and over. It all depends. It depends. Yeah. And he'd say, if this doesn't work for you when you get home, don't do it. He'd said that I've heard him myself say that, you know, and but I'll tell you one thing, whether it's horses or people, personal work or horse work. If there's one question that I get more than any other that is hollow. Forgive me, all my beloved clients, because <laughs> it's kind of habituated. People say they don't even realize, but it's what do I do, Mary? And that's why I say I don't give advice because that's a responsibility I don't want. So I ask my rebuttal, anyone that knows me knows this, how do you feel and how do you want to feel? Let's start there and let's see what doing comes from that. Let's see where that journey leads us then when we're coming from our true nature, our essence, and we're seeing the horse as their true nature, their true essence. It's not to say, I'm starting a cult now and I'm 61 years old. And it's not to say that I don't, you know, do things. I do things all the time. I'm saying that my doings aren't the source. The doings are the effect. That's a great line. My doings, yeah. Tell me that again. <laughs> the doings are not my source. The doings are the, are effect, the effect that comes from which source? Now, there's two. I was a student of The Course in Miracles for many years. 
And it says, you know, there's only two and one doesn't count. <laughs> That's fear and love. And I stand by that. So I, I've got a couple of questions. Good. Um, <laughs> one of them, I want to go back a minute ago. You were talking about you, you um, we were talking about perceptions, and then you were talking about living in nature and you around nature a lot. And one, I think one of the things that we, are, we grow up with is that we are taught, sorry, we grow up being taught, is that nature is like survival of the fittest. Think about survival of the fittest. You know, we're told it's survival of the fittest. It's a dog-eat-dog world at their sort of thing. Hostility. Whereas if you, <laughs> and if you perceive it that way, then you could be, well, I'm the most intellectually advanced species on the planet so i get to rule the whole thing whereas if you understand that nature it's not a it's not the survival of the fittest it's the survival of the one who can contribute the most and you know connect with others like we think a tree is just a tree and it sucks the nutrients from the ground but trees communicate with each other trees help each other out um you know Think about think about the the story about when they brought the wolves back to Yellowstone, and it changed the course of the river. You know, or there's a there's a story there's a story that I've read in different places about uh, a Native American elder, and he said, uh, "Oh, it, it, the story was about a guy saying that he heard this from a Native American elder, and it really changed the way he looked at things," which was. We don't have rights. We have responsibilities. Ah, that's great. And it's when you go from, you know how you were saying a minute ago, like yeah, with apex predators or whatever, if you look at the world that way, you'll view the world that way. But, you know, we kind of, the way we are raised was about take, 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 take. And like living in a vacuum, but nature doesn't work that way. Nature is a, uh, you know, it's a, contributing type thing and everything helps everything else. Yeah. And when you change that way, you look at that. I think that's a big game changer for a lot of things. I want to bring something. I, I love your show because I don't hesitate to go pretty deep in this. And one thing you just said that I want to, I want it like I said I like to ask questions. I don't have answers, but I like to poke around. And you said we live as if we have rights, you know. Um if you just sit for a moment or two and feel how it would feel to live as if you had no rights. None. That's not a good feeling. Yeah, to the mind. But you just spoke about nature, that it does work in nature. The mind wants rights, 
And that's what causes war. That's war, internal war and external war. And that's why I say I'm going kind of deep because that's one that, especially in Western culture, oh my gosh, we are spoiled. We are so, I tell my husband all the time, we live like kings. Mm. And, you know, people in India that are so poor, they have nothing but a cardboard box. And they're so fulfilled. When you take away the intellectual idea of having a right to something, this is how I describe it for folks a lot. It's like if a horse pulls back on a rope and they pull and they pull and you see, I've seen this at clinics, people go dirt skiing, you know, and they're pulling and the horse is pulling and, and how much resistance is there in a rope if you let go of the other end? Immediately slack. Doesn't matter how hard they pull. So I would encourage people to examine that because, first of all, it leads to that control thing. If we have rights, then we have to control our rights, and then we're going to be disappointed if we don't have them. We're going to have agendas, and and maybe I'm just going way out on a Shirley MacLaine limb here, but, <laughs> you know, um, but it's an important, I, I'm not shy. I don't mind bringing this stuff up because I see you were saying we're the intellectual. You're not saying you believe this, but you were saying as human beings, we're the higher intellect. What a mess we have created. We were talking about, uh, like you said, bringing the wolves back to Yellowstone. And uh, we were talking about the eagles in Sweden and, and that they were endangered for a long time. And so they, you know, kind of put them on the endangered list. And then now there's so many, they're shooting them. And it's, it's because the, the man is trying to control what's natural. Who can, can man create a sunset, an ocean, a forest? Do we even know how our bodies breathe? and grow the nail like you know Wayne Dyer you're the guy you mentioned he you know he was bald and he used to joke about his hair and he'd say what held it in yesterday you know as it was coming out (laughs) (laughs) so there is um, that dependency on the right to is why I say it creates war. I'm not saying that we lay down and be passive. No. I live what I talk. And I've had the best horsemanship in my life now because I stopped thinking I had a right to get on her back. It's the best relationship of my life next to my husband. (laughs) We had learned that too of my husband and I. We are saying is, I want what you want. Try that one for a while. You know, he's getting a power hammer, man. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave me grace. He gave me my horse. Oh, it chokes me up. 
That's what happens when you want what they want. It's called um, unity. And that's what we're here to learn. That's what we're here to live. And it's supposed to be a slow burn. It's supposed to be. This is a great thing I wanted to mention. My teacher, uh, my current guru, who is a game changer. His name is Muji. Everything's free on YouTube. You can look him up. I would suggest that you do if you haven't. How do you, how do you spell his name? M-O-O-J-I. Muji. No, that doesn't ring a bell. So, oh, okay. man, work. You're going to call me. You are going <laughs> to call me up and say, I knew I had you on for a reason. Uh, yeah, that's it. Oh, it's a game changer, you know. But uh, he asked this great question. He says, if you were going to go to dinner with somebody who I think he says a million, but I'm going to amp it up and say, you know, had a billions of dollars. And you got to choose. You were going to go to dinner with somebody who inherited it or somebody who was poor and grew it, acquired it, achieved that. Which one would you rather go to dinner with? Someone that just was given it or somebody that created it? Well, <clears throat> you don't have to ask that question here. This is the journey on podcast. I, I want to know people's <laughs> journeys, how you got yeah. to where you got to. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. The, the things that happened along the way to get you to the yeah. point you're at. So obviously it'll be the first one, not the second. I might have set you up there with that, but that's all right. <laughs> I have done. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's why it's supposed to be a slow burn. There isn't a pill. There isn't a there isn't I am so grateful for Ray and horses and my husband and and I bought I bought it's in the book I bought uh, when I, I can't remember how old I was, but I was younger. <laughs> I bought uh, 20 acres. I said I bought 20 acres of blackberries and poison oak. There was nothing on it. There wasn't water, power, road, house. I didn't even have a building permit. And I was single and self-employed with no credit and no savings. And I bought 20 acres of land. And that's where I lived for 21 years. That's what we sold before we moved here. And uh, what I learned from <laughs> fighting the county to get a building permit, and they said, you'll never find water. You know, it's a dry area. So I hired a witch, and he, this old guy came with his tools and everything, you know, and 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 we got water and that day the water shot out of the thing oh my god you know and uh everything about it the dogs i buried there the horses i buried there the the, the you said about the the hard stuff you know the i call it when i bloodied my knees you know i it's in the book there will be another book by the way because um there's more because that was the journey. And now I want to write about coming home. Mm. And I want to share that. That's why I'm here with you. Because that's what I see in you. 
That's what I see as your journey. And I see it as everybody's journey because you're so popular. People are looking. And I'm not saying I have the answers for anybody else, but I will act as a model. As a, I will, I will let my life be a testimony. And my husband tells me I've been through everything. I mean, I've been through my sister uh, was, uh, had suicide, died from suicide. I was alcoholic. I was drugs. I've been codependent. I've been, I mean, I can tell you nothing that I talk about was read in a book. You, you, we used to say you'll never learn a, to ride a horse from reading a book. Although I will say your book <laughs> is pretty darn good. I, I, one thing about uh, a good horse book is when you want to put it down and go to the barn, you know, that's how I feel when I read your book. I can only get so far, then I got to go to the barn. Warwick is happy to announce his first book, The Principles of Training, Understanding the Relationship Between You and Your Horse and Why Effective Training Works is now available. After a lifetime of working with horses, Warwick has categorized every horse training method into 12 foundational principles. Understanding the intricacies of these principles will allow you to make the most educated horse training decisions on your horsemanship journey and is a must-read for any horse owner. Get your copy today on Amazon or get a personalized copy signed by Warwick on his website, warwickschiller.com. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so tell me about this Muji guy. How'd you, how'd, you, how'd you find out about Muji and what do you know about him? Oh, boy. Well, um, he fell in my lap, literally. Magnus is my husband, is Magnus. Magnus and I were in the worst nightmare of my life. We had gotten into a bad real estate deal. And uh, we were trying to get out of this three-way nightmare. And um, the people that wanted to buy our place... It was contingent offer that we bought this other place. And um, the other place was a nightmare as it turned out. So we dropped our escrow, said, keep it, we want out. But these people were suing us for our place. We had nowhere else to go. Mm. So it was frightening. And this is the place I built from blackberries and poison oak. You know, this was my creation and our home. And I had seven horses, six or seven, I can't remember. But anyway, so it was the dark night of the soul. And I've and it was COVID. <laughs> and it was COVID that you, you couldn't hire a, an attorney without, you know, it was just insane. So anyway, I was imploding. <laughs> and uh, I've always been a student of philosophy. I used to say I've wandered aimlessly through all the traditions, you know, Zen, Buddhism, and Taoism, and I was atheist, then I was Christian, and, you know, I mean, I've just kind of moved through the map. And uh, so I like to study philosophy, and I like to glean wisdom from masters, and I don't know where it may be Facebook, I think, probably. 
I just saw a, a meme or a post or something. And I clicked on it. And here's this hip Jamaican guy, you know, <laughs> with dreads and, you know, and uh, like just drew me in. And so I uh, clicked on his YouTube. And I don't know, two hours later, three hours later, I was uh, thinking I'd come home to what I needed to get me through this process. And it's everything we've been talking about. A great, great influence in my life. Um, Muji, I still, I, both my husband and I listen to Muji every day and uh, have taken retreats, uh, online retreats, because he's in uh, Portugal. I mean, I'm, just, I'm just reading his Wikipedia right now. So uh, he's a Jamaican spiritual teacher based in the UK and Portugal. He gives talks and conducts retreats. Muji's followers describe his talks as where does it say this? Describes his talks as meeting in truth, where people come from all around the world to ask questions about life and seek peace and meaning. One follower describes Muji's teachings as spiritual food that is neither esoteric or hard to understand. Hmm. That brings me to something I wanted um, you. Well, it's a question you were going to ask me. <laughs> How do you know? Because uh, uh, you sent it to me. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, the, oh, sorry, the question, those yeah, questions. those questions. Oh, cause, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. been a question in my mind here oh. for about oh. 15 minutes now. Oh, you got to ask talk. that one. Those are written down. So tell me, ask me. <clears throat> well, this question has been, I've always had this question. Oh, even better. And I've, I've never really got to ask anybody. So I never met Ray Hunt or Tom Dorrance or Bill Dorrance. I've read a lot of stuff. And one of the quotes that I've heard attributed to one of those guys, either Tom or Bill, was you're not working on the horse, you're working on yourself. Okay, you get that? Oh. You have heard one of them say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, because you said, I'm studying this Muji guy, I've been through a course in miracles, I've read this, I read that. As, and, and I don't know if this is a complaint of mine or it's a question, but did they ever tell anybody how to work on themselves. Did they ever say, hey, you should read this book, you should meditate, you should whatever, or did they just kind of, because to me it's almost like they throw that out there but give you no direction on what that actually means. Like did, did they ever suggest, hey, I, 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 think you should, uh, I think you should meditate, I think you should look you Muji up on YouTube, maybe you should read this, maybe you should read that. I know that... I think Tom suggested people read Kinship uh, with All Life. Kinship with All Life. But that's out of those guys that, and like I said, I wasn't around them. So maybe in conversations they said these things a lot. But that, as far as I have ever found, that's the only book uh, any of them ever suggested. I'm just wondering, you know, telling people yeah. that you're not working on the horse, you're working on yourself, but giving them no guidance on how to work on yourself or what it is you're actually working on. I'm just wondering if there was stuff said that 
is not in print, so I don't have access to it. You know, like, I'm wondering, did they actually communicate <laughs> what that meant? Well, no, because I don't think they can. Because whenever, I tell you what, um, I was in close contact with Carolyn Hunt and Margaret Dorrance when I wrote my book. Back the very, very last thing Margaret did in the hospital was uh, give her blessings for the book. And one of the most important things, the reason that I contacted these lovely women was because I used quotes from both Tom and Ray. So I wanted to have the permission granted to use those quotes. And um, one of the most important things, certainly to Carolyn, was that I be very clear that it was my interpretation of their words. And that is a subtlety. I work in subtleties. That's my thing. Because that's what people ride over the top of. And um, you cannot do this to get that. But we want to teach, and Ray did uh, indeed influence, and so did Tom and all these great teachers, Bill, and Muji, did indeed influence a learning frame of mind. No different than you would for a horse. You sometimes you go out, I've seen some stuff that you do where you would do one thing, but now you're going to do this different thing because it today it's a different day. Today it's like that saying, you know, work with the horse you have today. You, have you today, said that. Yeah. That's you. Yeah. You know, and it's actually work with the horse you have right now because it's oh, right now. Than it was Ex even better. Seconds ago. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the point. We're no different. So you it would be futile and they were wise enough to know it that um so but muji to answer your question directly about him he does he has honed it in to giving you an experience that you can find your true nature and it's flawless and it's simple and it's also what i offer as well it's it has to be simple and one thing I say to my clients is, if I give you something temporary, fire me. How's that? That's, That's a, a good pretty one. good, you know, guarantee. So what in your life do you know that isn't temporary? Your job, where you live, your relationship, your kids, your friends, Everything's temporary. Your life is temporary. Everything's temporary, except for one thing. And that's what they're pointing to. And that's here. So I, I listened to the podcast with you and Rupert when Rupert interviewed you. And you were sharing about uh, your experience. Oh, when I was, when I was on Rupert's yeah. podcast. Mm -hmm. yep. So they live what's it called live, live free ride uh, free live free ride free yeah yeah i did my homework <laughs> actually that made <laughs> this so much better 
so I was so glad I was sick when you called because I got to know you a little better that way and who I was talking to. And now I get to bring up your stuff, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's plenty of it. Don't yeah, worry. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Endless. But um, so, but about the uh, journeying with uh, psychedelics, because mm-hmm. I did a lot of psychedelics for different reasons. But actually, Carolyn Resnick actually asked me the other day. She said, did you do psychedelics for a spiritual um, uh, quest, you know? Yeah. And I said, Carolyn, because her and I are the same person, we're sure of it. And I said, Carolyn, you know I was born spiritual. You know, like everything I do is a spiritual experience. That was my, that's my tendency, right? Right. So, but what I wanted to ask you, and this, I'm not going to interview you, but I would like to someday, maybe when I come down and see you. Um, <laughs> you're not going to interview me, but you're going to ask me the question. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, good. Ask you the question. <laughs> See, that's what I do. If somebody asks me a question, I answer the question with a question. That's pretty tricky. But um, when you were tripping, what's what we called it back in the '60s, when you were mm. on your journey of uh, when I was when I was journeying, that was yeah, the term. That's what I use. That's what I used to use a long time ago for meditation because I never really got empty. I went places. Mm. I went out of body, you know, uh, on a ra- That's how I quit drinking, actually. It was an out of body experience. Weird. But I think it's in the book. It is in the book. So uh, we won't go there. But I had a question. When you were experiencing the journey, mm. you were, you had a visual effect, you had a sensational effect, you had. You know, you were experiencing something, right? So what Muji offers and what I like to point to was there is one, no matter before the journey, during the journey, and after the journey, that was present to watch it all take place. You saw it happening. There, you were there, and then you maybe did, you know, the the psilocybin, let's say, mm-hmm. and then you felt. I remember psilocybin. We used to call. <laughs> this is terrible. We used to call them. I don't know if I should say this. We used to I mean, call them. You can say it. Yukums. We because <laughs> you'd get your mouth would get full of saliva and stuff. You know, I remember. I live in Oregon. I mean, this is psilocybin capital of the world, let me tell you. You know, it was in our backyard. But, and and so anyway, you'd start to sensate. You'd start to feel that coming on. And then it would be an experience. And then, as you said in your conversation with Rupert, it started to die out. And then you went out in the pasture to see the horses on that one. And then it kind of drifted away. And then here you are talking to Mary at the Ridge, okay? So there is one that sees all of that happening in front of you. Is it not? Yeah. Has that one ever come and went? Has that one ever been vacant from you when you were three? or five, or 20, or in the sweat lodge, 
Has that one ever not been there? No, but that's the thing is I want to get to, I want to get to him. I want to. You are him. Yeah, I get that. But I've got (laughs) a blue veil and I've got a red veil. Yeah, yeah. A white veil. Yeah. I've got a freaking lot of veils. Yeah. Guess what? You recognize that. It's a, remember when I texted you? I, that's kind of what prompted this conversation. I said, oh, after I watched or listened to the Rupert thing, I, I was on the text next morning <laughs> and I said, direct passage, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, well, that's what all that's, <laughs> that's what all that stuff was for. It wasn't, definitely wasn't yeah. a good time, but it's trying no, no. to... You know, I, I think for the longest time, I had no idea I was wearing a red veil and a blue veil and a yellow veil and an orange exactly. veil and a white veil. Um, and I thought that's how the world looked. Yeah. Then once you, underst- once you understand that you are wearing those veils, then uh, for me, I think the work is removing those veils. It's not about, it's not about, I don't think it's about being different. It's about revealing the real you, you know, like the real you is not changeable and it's always there, but it's not always, you're not always aware of it because the other stuff gets in the way. That's it. That's my work. That's what I do. Mm. Yeah. I make you aware of it. And I've asked this question to countless people. And, and I would say this, what question can you ask somebody that you ask Every walk of life, male, female, rich, poor, you know, Christian, atheist, any person, and they'll give you the same answer. I'll give you a hint. I just asked you. Everyone says the same thing. I was there to witness it. Then the work that I do with you now is practice. That's why the book is called Perfect Practice. You mentioned that at the beginning. We will do it again, give the book another shout out. Okay. Perfect Practice, a philosophy for living an authentic and transparent life. So if we practice removing, I, I said in the book, I kept practicing, but I was practicing being ineffective. So I was very good at it, being ineffective. So I want the direct experience. So that is, I suppose, why Muji fell out of the ethers into my phone that day, because that's what he offered is a direct experience. You don't, you can do it anywhere in the grocery store. You could do it when you're healthier, you're sick or you're tired or you're inspired or, you know, and there is a slow burn. It's like we talked about earlier. It's all right. Those veils have lots of meaning, lots of purpose, lots of direction. It's all right. It's your all right already. Yeah, you know, those those vows, it's not like, 
I am I am not um, frustrated that they're still there and I've got to get rid of them. Yeah. I know it's a slow burn and I know uh, that you you can't, you know, it's like you can't train a horse quickly. Yes. Because you'll get to the wrong place faster. And so yeah. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, blah, 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 you know, do all this. It's not, I've got to get rid of it now. It's like, yeah. I, I get it. It takes yeah. time and it's, and you can't, uh, you can't force it. Can I say something about just you interject? Um, about the horse, because that's really the way, that was the way in to me, Ray. That was how Tom got into Ray, was through the horse. Ray got into me through the horse. And I'm going to get into you through the horse, because you know it there. You know that there with them. And the horse, to me, and throughout my whole book, I talked about the horse is a metaphor or a symbol of life, L-I-F-E, life. And so I use that often uh, and I use it in my work. That's why I end up working with horse people and horse people coming to my personal sessions because of that corresponding link. Right. So the horse out in the pasture is all right already, right? I mean, they're living out their days and nobody's judging them for being good or bad or right or wrong. That's the true essence of the horse. I just posted a story about it today, about um, I had this wild horse and I kept him wild. I just got by enough because I wanted to know what I put in the in the blog was I wanted to ride God's horse. You know, I wanted to know horse. But so he bucked me off once in a while. <laughs> but boy, he was like a mountain goat in the in the mountains, you know. He yeah. loved it. Anyway, um so the the problem or the veils, the conflicts come in application. Not in source. And you're a master at application with horses. And you're getting better all the time. So we need to differentiate that. So that we can come from a clear source. A healthy source. Uh, one of my one-liners is I like to work from a success to a success. And the mind, the intellect problems all land in the intellect because we're thinking things should be other that's the one of my favorite lines is the cause of human suffering is thinking things should be other than they are and that's what we think about the horse or our kids or our friends or politics or whatever so muji tells his story he says uh, about his guru, actually, somebody said that I I'm I just came to tell you that I'm experiencing great suffering. And the guru said, no, you're not. What do you mean? No, I'm not. You know, he says, you're suffering your experience. 
that's subtle mm. and accurate. The subtleties are accurate. The complexities are distracting. So, back to horses. They are the pure essence of forgiveness. And that's my own personal verbiage. The pure essence of forgiveness because they allow a prey animal on their back and serve them. Even with love. Sometimes and most frequently, as you know and I know, that most frequently they have to acquiesce and surrender. But now you are changing the world, Warwick Schiller. The world of horses. You are out there as a voice that needed to be told. And you're placed perfectly where you are. But that voice has to come from a source of empathy and forgiveness and love and kindness. And then you say yourself, and I know it, I live it. It's so simple. It's so simple. But the mind makes it complicated. So the very first step, right? You're, you're about principles and steps, and you want to come from a clean slate. Well, what's cleaner than that which does not change? And what's freer? What feels more open and spacious and allowing? And I'll tell you something. One of the hardest things I've done, one of those questions you asked was, uh, what have you changed in the last five years? And I'm going to answer it now, just save you the trouble. Okay, so the question is, what have you changed in the past five years that has changed the course of your life? I let go of opinions. My opinions and my opinions about other people's opinions. And it was one of the hardest things I ever did because I wrote a book and walked the talk that I was a Ray Hunt disciple. But even as we were talking earlier about Tom and Ray telling you, or what I said to Brent about the trouble was I did what I was told, you know, I could never be. The last chapter in my book talks about that I could never be Ray Hunt. No way. There's only one. There's only one that ever was or ever will be. There will never be another Ray. So I kept doing things like round pending and flagging and disengaging and, you know, see if you can get the lope in the first ride. And, and I'm, by the way, I'm not saying Ray told me these things. This was right. my interpretation of 35 years of clinics. And it wasn't just Ray. I hosted clinics. I did a lot of other stuff. So, but what I was doing was coming from that thing I was watching in front of me, you know, and then taking as truth, as reality, as life. So I kept doing what I'd always done. But I was a little more spiritual about it. 
No, it doesn't matter. You can be spiritual and be so screwed up you can't imagine. You know, I mean, in fact, it often is the case because then we get permission to say, oh, whatever, you know. It, it's so, the one thing I did was I stopped doing what I've always done. And that included everything I learned. And I just happened to... Uh, be graced by my colt who I bought from Carolyn Hunt who was out of Ray's mare his last mare and the mare died after she licked her off and so my colt came from the source of everything I've lived. But she came to me as a clean slate. Eight months old. She'd lived with Carolyn up until then. She came off that trailer. And I am I consider her Ray's granddaughter, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and she changed my life in the last five years. Actually, the last three. And I, from the get-go... I it was of such value to me that I not do what I've always done and make the mistakes that I made. The value was so high that I was a little dumbfounded. And that's what I posted recently about a child's mind. I think it was a quote from my book, actually. <laughs> but um, it was having a child's mind. So there I was with the child being a child. Mm. And now I'm riding her. And I, I took the first ride out a couple days ago. It wasn't very long. It was like five minutes. <laughs> you know, but not the first, the second. That was the second. First one was three minutes. <laughs> but I've been riding her all winter. But what I had to do was I... I, I am an open book and I post everything. And um, I've been posting the journey with her and other horses that I have. Um, one is a big What's her name? Her name is Grace. Grace. Aptly named, by the way. <laughs> Aptly named, yes. And um, um, go ahead. Oh, so no, no, finish that because I was going to say, you know what, you brought up the question and we probably, we've been going for quite a while. I should get Have to those we? questions that you chose here in a minute. Oh, I've time flies. Half, does... so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so that's... Finish this thought there. Okay. What was my thought? Um, oh, so, so I be, you, there you go. A mind like still water. That's how I started with Ray's granddaughter. <laughs> You know, but then I came up against first saddling, first leading, first loping, for what, you know, all these firsts, which is what I usually post or first, the first time I did this, the first time. And how does it look to you? And see, I don't tell anybody anything. Like I said, I don't give advice. I don't post and say, this is what I did and do this. I say, look, look what happened. And people go, wow, that looks really good. I go, God, it felt really good. And I talk about my experience. 
And Ray Hunt is still in my heart every day. And um, since I'm probably not going to show Grace, uh, I think Carolyn's a little disappointed because she is bred to the gills, you know, for uh, stock horse braining, cutting, you yeah. know. And uh, so I had to disappoint Carolyn Hunt. And that was the hardest part of what I've had to do is to say, have the faith and the integrity to stand by my horse beyond anybody else's opinion, especially the one woman I revered the most. I got to get choked up here. <laughs> mm. It's the hardest thing I ever did and the easiest because I'd gotten ready all these years and everything I teach and everything I talk about and everything I live was getting me ready for that one moment in that conversation with Carolyn. And I said, it's about grace and me. She's so aptly named, isn't she? Because <laughs> when you said yeah. it's about Grace and me, I wasn't thinking Grace the horse. Yeah, it is. That's that. right. I, I know Grace. Carolyn Resnick and I talk about that all the time because I say, you know, I, one time when I started riding her, she had we were doing leg yields and all this cross, and then like the next time she wouldn't move, she wouldn't move foot. So, you know, you know. And literally, I'm not kidding you, this colt turned around and looked me in the eye while I was kick, 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 <laughs> clucking and kicking. And she bent around and looked me right in the eye. What are you doing, you nutcase? I said, oh, God, you're right. You're so right. I suck. Okay, no kicking. <laughs> no kicking. So I sat there. Want to ask me how long I sat there? How long did you sit there? Seven days. Hmm. And I think that's pretty good because I remember Tom asked Ray to wait. And Ray says, what am I waiting? What? How long do I wait? And Tom goes, well, I waited seven years once. <laughs> you know. But when she moved, it was her idea. It was her idea, yeah. You know. So the, you were talking earlier, very early on, about being led on this journey by horses. And, uh, you know, you probably know the story about me that, you know, I got this horse that I, my wife bought this horse that I Sherlock. <laughs> yeah, Sherlock. And, you know, Sherlock was shut down and Sherlock is the one that made me aware yeah. how shut down I'd been, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah. So I didn't do anything with Sherlock for a number of years because I wasn't sure how to start over again with him. I didn't want to mess it up, so I'd rather not go there than... But when, anyway, when I first started back riding him, the thing with him, he'd been asked a lot all the time because yeah. he's so talented. And so yeah. when you're really talented, people expect you to give a lot. And when I first... and he, So he was in his head. And I got him out of his head on the ground, but I'm pretty sure that when I go back and start riding him again, as soon as you get on, he's going to be like, oh, not this shit. Yeah. It's different spent, up there, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's, the, you know, he, he'd had a lot of interactions with me on the ground that were different than his 
all these formative interactions. And so that was changing his mindset about that. But he hadn't had any writing experience. You know, it's a little bit like people say, well, they do this in Australia a lot. I don't know if they do it in America, but they get an off-the-track thoroughbred who has had a lot of yep. suboptimal interactions with humans. And then they go, I'm going to turn him out for six months so he forgets about all that. Yeah. If they don't see a human for six months, yeah. they still have exactly the same yeah. opinion of humans when they see them again the next time. What they need is six months of different interactions. So anyway, he'd not had any new interactions on the saddle. And the first, when I first started riding him, I got on him and sat there. Yeah. And I did yeah, that. Yeah, didn't five, ask and I, anything of him. And I, I sat there and, I, and he kind of held his breath. He just kind of stood there holding his breath. Oh, I bet. And I sat there until he finally... <sighs> Yeah. And then I was done and I would get off. Yeah. And I did that for about five days until, and I didn't start actually doing anything till I got on him one day and I got on and like 10 seconds later he went. Yeah. And, and then I had an in, like I had a different horse on the saddle. Then I could start actually communicating with him because any type of communication to him would have been, you're going to ask me to do stuff. It's all about you want something from me. Yeah. And by the time I started communicating with him, he was ready to be communicated with because he, he wasn't holding his breath. And so, yeah, I'm talking about five days. I just yeah. sat on him for five days. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but that five days is not a wasted five days. That five days oh, is the most was important that, part of the whole thing. And I learned more than she did. That gave me my practice of mm. walking my talk. Yep. It's all about me. <laughs> Grace is my teacher, you know. Once again, I'm not I sure know. if you're talking about the horse or not. I know. I lo- I did that on purpose, actually. I'm. I'm. You're throwing. You're baiting me now, aren't you? Okay. All right. Are you ready for some questions? Yep. Okay. If you could spread a message, one that people would listen to, what would it be? Or your favorite quote, or both. Or both. The message, it's really not that difficult. That um, that simple, Ray Hunt would say, I don't know if this is my favorite. I mean, I, when I wrote the book, I put 125 Ray quotes in it. But Carolyn made me get down to 25 because she said it was my book, not his. But uh, one of them is he said, can you do less? That one rings in my head every day. And I thought I knew what doing less was. Like you said, I thought I knew what doing less was. Um, And man, there's, oh, it just goes and goes and goes. So what I've come to understand and what I'd like to share with people is to slow down and don't, I mean, you can hurry slowly. That's an Eckhart Tolle quote. Mm -hmm. You can you can move your feet fast, just like with a horse. You you might want to speed the life up, but you don't want to speed their mind up. You want to you want them to have that level, you know, and and that can be done to create the most blissful life you can imagine. Is when we will just not take the world personally, like. Every problem is personal. Everything that we resist is because we think it's against us or, 
you know, we've either done something wrong or somebody else has, or it's not the way we want it to be. But if you remove the personal, you're not dead. Just try it. You can do it like that. I mean, direct path. That's what I said. The personal is the identity. And as Muji says, the I entity. I this, I have a horse, I have a job, I have a house, I, 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 oh my God, get rid of it. Don't put a label on it. And feel it, experience it. I always say, don't believe me, try it. This is, this is not a textbook. This is life. And it's much more simple than anyone ever told us. And one thing I said to a client recently when she was saying, you know, I have so much healing to do. And I don't know if you're going to get this, but she did, thank God. I leaned in and I said, there's nothing to heal. It's all a memory it's all thoughts. It's all perception. Mm. It's yeah. not real. Try to go and find that person. They don't exist. It's just a belief. A thought believed in can start a war. And that's what I want people to know. Start here at home. Don't try to fix something else outside of you. Get this good and show it. Oh, I was going to say that if I can, just real quick, about Ray being in my heart. Yeah. Uh, when I was feeling sad about Carolyn, Ray came to me in my heart and he said, show her, don't tell her. And that's what I want to do with life. I'm not telling anybody anything, but I'm going to show you how good it is. And I'm showing grace. Ha <laughs> uh-huh. So to put it in a nutshell, it's more simple than we make it out to be. And I'll, I'll be a model of that simplicity every day I live for the rest of my life. Okay, so outside of that, the next question is, what is an unusual habit you have? Oh, I remember that one. Um, let's see. I won't settle. I won't settle for less than freedom, than complete release. I won't settle for kind of getting by or a little less resistance. I want to go all the way. What do you feel your true purpose is in the world? Love. Next question. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> what quality do you admire most in people? Willingness. And it's the same for horses. If, if I am interacting and there isn't even a 
essence of willingness, then it's pretty hard, kind of like you were saying about Sherlock. And so if I can just find that little bit of will in somebody, I'll run with them. I'll, I'll be their support the rest of my life. But I can't do it for them. So I think it's the Holy Grail. I wrote a chapter about it, actually. A whole chapter. Okay, and I think there's one question. Oh, okay, yeah. And you probably you've probably answered this one a lot of times. By the time people get to this question, they've already answered it. But what's the worst? <clears throat> excuse me. What's the most worthwhile thing you have done with your life? Be authentic. Follow my heart. Don't let them tell me I can't. That's pretty good for someone who wrote a book called Perfect Practice. Yeah. <laughs> a philosophy I walk for living my a talk. And transparent <laughs> life. Yeah. So tell us, where can, uh, where can people find your book? Uh, well, I sell it. You can contact mm -hmm. me at marycorning.com. And, um, of course, it's on all online bookstores, Amazon, of course, and every other major bookstore. Um, yeah. Is yeah. it an audio book as well? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. So we're starting production this week. Okay. I, yeah. So please, can, please, yeah. please. And, uh, we... I think we'll launch maybe around August and there's going to be a whole big, exciting fanfare because this is something I've wanted all along. And uh, it was just, as you know, publishing a book is really a lot of work or it can be. And so at the time we couldn't pull that off, but we've thrown our hat over the fence now. So mm. we're going to do an audio. That's, that's very cool. Cause I think there's, there's, you know, you can convey emotions. You can convey more yeah. with the spoken word of the same things. Yeah. Um, have you, uh, I've, li I've listened to um, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. So it's Matthew McConaughey's oh. story, oh, no. but he reads it. Yeah. And so it's Matthew McConaughey's yeah. voice. All right, yeah. all right, all right, all yeah. right, you know. And, <laughs> and, and it's his phrasing. You know, like he will speak a sentence, then he pauses. And then he, you know, and like yeah. you don't get that when you read it. Yeah. It's just the yeah. words. But and he's he, an actor. You know, he's probably good at that. I'm going to read my very own. Very good. I'm reading my yeah. own. And I'm a good reader. I've done some videos. Like one day I just got spontaneous out on the deck and did a video of reading an excerpt. And wouldn't you know, the horses came by and like were tearing up the place and blowing and all the background. It was great, you know, but we are hiring a producer to get rid of the background noise because right. I'd just soon be outside as anywhere, but I probably can't get away with that on recording. Yeah, well, it's hard, you know, with, with you know, you, you have a really good microphone that picks up your voice really well, but also picks up the wind or yes, you know, yes, those sorts yes. of things, but. Yeah, it would yeah. be great to record outside. 
Um, okay, so marycorning.com, is that correct? Uh, yeah, marycorning.com. Okay, and what about social media? How do people find you on social media? Um, I have my professional Facebook page, which uh, I have a personal one too, but and that's public. But um, really, I'm transitioning most of my work to the professional page, and that yep. is at Mary S. The uh, initial S is in Sam. Mary S. Corning at Facebook. Um, I don't know. There's a link. Maybe you can put it up. I can put it in. Yeah, we can yeah. find it and put it in the thing. Yeah. What about any other? You uh, Instagram? Oh, TikTok, I have a YouTube. Twitter. No, YouTube, I got. I'm really so. It's like my husband tells me, I'm the talent and he's the brains, you know. So we are the technical element of life really gets past me. And but I love Facebook a lot because it's given me a place to land the message. And I've just started YouTube, but I'm not really proud of them. (laughs) I mean, I will be. But I, like I said, I'm an open book. It's very organic. You know, I'm out there right. in the rain boots in the barn and, you know, you'll see that like the, one of them, I put the snow fell off the roof. There was like a landslide came off the roof and I had all four horses in there, you know. And so I put that up, you know, so it's it, I haven't really done a lot of this. Well, on the, I'll tell you what, though. On the website, there's tons of blogs and there's all the podcasts and radio and everything. You know, that's probably the best hub. Okay. Is the, the website. website. That is gorgeous. Yeah. My husband does a beautiful job there. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's been a a pleasure and an honor to chat with you. It's It's been two hours. Yeah. Which isn't too bad. For me, I mean, that's kind of what it takes. Yeah, that's most of my podcasts are about are about two hours long. So, good. You got any uh, parting comments before we go? Thank you so much for all that you're providing the world. It makes a difference. Well, thank you, thank you, and you're a part of that. So, thanks for joining me, and uh, for you guys at home, thanks for joining us on another episode. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Journey on Podcast. Thanks for being a part of the Journey On podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick has over 850 full-length training videos on his online video library at videos.warwickschiller.com. Be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.